Good morning. This is DJ and PK in the morning right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM and the Zone Sports Network. Kicking off the show this morning. We have a lot coming up this morning. Give you a heads up on our guest list right off the top. This morning we're joined by Pete Futak from collegefootballnews.com. Talk a little bit about the Pac-12, BYU, some college football thoughts from one of the guys who's been covering the sport for a very long time. We'll also get a PGA Championship preview from Bob Casper from Real Golf Radio. That's coming up at 9 o'clock. And, of course, Tim Lacombe making his weekly visit at 8.30 right here with David and Patrick. My voice may sound unfamiliar to some of you, but my name is Jay Catch. I'm the executive producer of this program, filling in for David and Patrick this morning. But a lot to get to ahead on today's show. And let's start off with the NBA play-in tournament this morning. Two games last night in the Eastern Conference trying to determine the seeding. Last night, the Boston Celtics got a 50-burger from Jason Tatum to get past the Washington Wizards 118 to 100. The more entertaining of the two games last night as the Indiana Pacers also took care of business against the Charlotte Hornets, blowing out the Hornets by the way, 144 to 117. The most impressive thing about what happened with Indiana is Karis LeVert, who had probably been their best guard to this point in the season, was out. Uh, health and safety protocols knocking him out of this game, but no matter, take your best guard off the roster off the court and you go out and just put up 144 points. Eight players in double figures for Indiana in that game as they advance. Also, as I mentioned, the 50-burger for Jason Tatum. He was a man amongst boys last night. Absolutely incredible. Bradley Bill and Russell Westbrook on the other side for Washington just weren't able to counter him. They combined for 42 points in this game. But Jason Tatum, just an absolute starring performance. Also added eight rebounds and four assists. 14 of 32 from the field. More importantly, 17 of 17 at the free throw line, living at the line and getting it done. Congratulations both the Boston Celtics and the Indiana Pacers as they advance now. Coming up tonight, it is the Western Conference play-in time as the San Antonio Spurs will face off against the Memphis Grizzlies and then the biggest game of them all here in the play-in tournament, the Golden State Warriors taking on the Los Angeles Lakers. Tip-off set for about 8 o'clock Mountain Time. Looking forward to that matchup. LeBron James, Steph Curry, what is going to happen and obviously implications for the Utah Jazz with that, with them being the one seed and w- waiting to find out who they will face later this weekend when they begin their first round series. So there you go. Some thoughts on the NBA, but coming up here in a minute, we'll continue with that. Get the insight of Dan Devine, guy who covers the NBA for his day job for the ringer. Some great thoughts on the Utah Jazz, their chances in the upcoming NBA playoffs. We'll get to all of that coming up in just a few moments right here on the Zone Sports Network. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK in the morning right here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm Jay Catch, the executive producer of this fine program. Thanks again for taking the time to join us this morning. Coming here in just a few moments, Dan Devine from The Ringer was on with David and Patrick yesterday talking about the NBA playoffs upcoming, his thoughts on the Utah Jazz, their chances of getting postseason awards, defensive player of the year for Rudy Gobert, coach of the year for Quinn Snyder, sixth man of the year. Interesting debate there you're going to hear. So without further ado, let's get to it. Dan Devine from The Ringer right here on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses. Save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Dan, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. There is, as you can imagine, a lot of excitement here. There's a little bit of stress and a little bit of worry over Donovan <laughs> Mitchell's health. Also, everybody's trying to figure out, well, when we get to Friday night, who's the eights going to be? Who are the Jazz actually going to end up playing? And are they going to get to the Western Conference Finals and beyond? I guess the first question for you is, to what degree do you believe in the Jazz in the West? Or you got them as like the fourth best team and, you know, good luck to them? Well, I think the, the hardest thing to, to sort of parse out with that is just who, what versions of these teams are we going to actually be seeing? You know, like if, if you lined everybody up uh, in 2K and turned fatigue and injuries off, I think, yeah, you might say the Jazz are, I don't know, what the third best team in the West or something like that. You know, you would probably say a full strength and healthy war uh, Lakers uh, right up at the top. And then everybody else kind of slots in and might depend on sort of taste uh, beyond that. But what we have seen for the last four months, this has been the best team in the league. And it's been the best team in the league, you know, the most complete and balanced team on, on both sides of the ball. And they, there's, they have done nothing to be, you know, to, to be bumped off of that pedestal. They, they have earned that position. The question is, and it's the burden of proof that every team has to have, things, things have not happened until they actually happen. It was, the Warriors had to do it. The Cavs had to break through and do it. You, you have to see it. Even like, you know, LeBron and his initial run in Miami, you have to actually do it before everybody will give you the flowers. There's no reason to believe that the Jazz can't be the best team in the Western Conference and cannot go through this bracket and make it to the Western Conference Finals, have a chance to play for, the, for a finals berth. It's just we have to see it happen because we've, in the, over the last handful of years, there's just always been sort of a final boss or a stylistic problem, something that they haven't been able to solve. I think they've done just about everything they can do shy of landing a LeBron or Kawhi or that kind of big wing playmaker, the you know, queen on the chessboard type. They've done everything they can do but that. And now we find out if that's enough. I mean, I, I, it's funny to hear you say, like, there's great, there's great excitement, there's great stress, and there's great anxiety, and there's a whole lot of we don't know. I mean, if, what else sums up this NBA season any better than that? Like, there, there's so many things to be excited about, to, be, you know, to, to have enjoyed watching, but there's also still, even all, all this time later, so much unknown because you're still seeing teams – just kind of get back together and welcome back, you know, uh, pieces that have been injured or guys that have been out of the rotation moving back in and developing rhythm, trying to find some time. And then the great unknown, of course, I mean, it's one of the big bummers of the play-in as it stands, is that you can go all season, be the number one seed in the East, and not, and, or even in the Western Conference, and not be uh, aware of who you're playing until the very end of the, of the line here. So um, 
I believe that the Jazz have done what they can do to put themselves in position to be a championship caliber team. Now it's, you know, how the dice roll and how they tumble, and we're going to find out. So, Dan, reading your stuff at The Ringer, you list uh, your top five MVP candidates, and obviously Uh-oh. you have uh, Jokic there. Uh, you, you, but you give great uh, due to Gobert. You talk about Rudy. You talk about how all the positives, and you do have him as defensive player of the year, which I think means if you come to Salt Lake, you won't get run out of town. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, one of the uh, – listen, let's talk about blessings and curses. It's really it's, – it's wonderful that the league has, you know, seen fit to give me a ballot, like a, you know, a real honest-to-goodness ballot. It's wonderful to – it's a great responsibility. It's a, you know, a wonderful acknowledgement. It's also a heck of a lot of stress because you want to try to be as thoughtful as you can and try to, to, to not just – you know, this, this, these things matter for guys' legacies. They matter for guys' paychecks. They matter for a whole lot of different reasons. So you want to try to be as responsible as you can as a steward of it. Um, and for, yeah, for me, it's the, the only thing that, that, that's preventing Gobert from being a top five uh, vote getter in that situation for me is just I think that we've reached a point in the development of the NBA where – Yes, there are two sides to the ball, and yes, defense is incredibly important. It's just not as important as offense is at this point, right now. Maybe some rules changes shift the the way that things work. Maybe the geometry of the court changes. There's a whole whole lot of ways the game can be tweaked, but right now... Rudy Gobert is about as uh, basically the pinnacle of the kind of player he is as a screener, as a diver, as a sort of uh, the, the, the gravity that he has rolling to the basket, all those sorts of things. He's just not a creator on offense. And I think that that is the kind of player in this, in this version of the league that is most valuable. And so I think that's where you wind up with, uh, you know, Jokic and Joel Embiid as a, a creator of offense and Stephen Curry and players like that that sort of elevate above that for me. But that is all to say you get five spots and there are dozens of incredible players in this league, and Gobert is certainly high, high, high up on that list. So as you pointed out, though, the Jazz do not have the wing player who is the queen on the chessboard. Now, defensively, I think Quinn Snyder feels like Rudy is that guy. Offensively, if they don't have that guy, right, because they don't have a LeBron and they don't have a Kawhi, but... They might have the sixth man of the year. They might have the sixth and seventh man of the year. How much does Joe Ingles, as a bigger guy running the pick and roll, and Clarkson as just an unrepentant shooter? I mean, this guy, yeah, I missed five in a row. So what? I'll make the next ten in a row. You will be, yeah, I, I'm, I'm cold now, but you will be in awe of me in ten minutes. I mean, he just lets that last play go unlike anything we've seen. Can those guys offset, or it doesn't work that way? A group of guys can't overcome the power of the one in the big moment in the playoffs. Well, I think it can. You know, we we have seen examples in the past of teams that didn't have, you know, the the one dominant offensive uh, performer in the series be able to kind of make it up in aggregate with enough guys who can all make a play. Uh, you know, 
Now, the, you know, the Raptors might not be the best example because Kawhi was there, but that was a team that did not win those finals against the Warriors, did not win uh, in the stretch of all those games just because Kawhi was elite. It was because everybody on the floor for them was able to make a pass, dribble, shoot decision and able to make something happen, able, able to get to their own shot. Even someone like you know, Serge Ibaka as a pick-and-pop threat or Marc Gasol being able to extend the play. Uh, you know, th- th- sometimes teams wind up being sort of more than the sum of their parts. And when you get really great parts, then you, gotta, you can have something special. And I think that's what we're seeing with Utah, where stylistically, kind of whatever lineups are you, uh, the Quinn Snyder is able to put on the floor, there's always going to be three, four, maybe even you know, three or four at minimum players who can make that kind of next read, keep the, keep the ball moving, keep the chain moving, and then create something out of it. I think what we saw last year, the version that wound up, went uh, out in the first round in the bubble, uh, was, you know, they obviously it was a, a difficult first season in Utah for Mike Conley, although he was playing a lot better at the end of the season. Um, he's been sensational all season long. You know, you're seeing uh, great versions of Gobert as a, as a sort of space creator, but also with Ingles being able to, to orchestrate, whether he's in the second unit or in the starting lineup, Clarkson just kind of gets to play his own offense when he comes in, but it's certainly effective. Um, you said the fact that you have uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, and not only that you have him, but he seems to have really been ramping up coming into the postseason is a huge addition for them. It's basically, can you have if you have those positional uh, that stability and those advantages on a possession by possession basis at across the board can you add up enough of those to kind of make up for what you might be lacking in like one matchup where you, the other team has like the best guy by a significant margin and so that's I mean again with, with the, without the ability to have created one of those guys this is about as good as you can do I think I think the Jazz have done a sensational job of building out the roster of trying to make it as multifaceted and varied in the way it can attack and play as possible uh, you know there are always going to be people who, who will look at go and say, well, that guy is just going to be of limited utility at a certain point in a postseason series because there's going to be a possession where you're staring down Steph Curry 35 feet away from the basket on a switch and you're just in deep water and you got to make the best out of it. I think that Gobert has gotten significantly better at doing that over the course of his career. I think he's about as good at that now as a player like him is going to get to be with, with his size and some of the limitations that will come along with that. And I think that, you know, the, all you can do is put your team in the best position you can to have a chance in, against no matter who you're playing. And I think this version of the Jazz has done that. Whether it is going to be enough to win four series in a brutal Western Conference, that remains to be seen. But I think they've done just about everything they've can to put themselves there. So we are going to run you out of town for not having Clarkson as the sixth man, but we'll bring you back because you chose Joe Ingles. <laughs> <laughs> I try to make sure that if, uh, you know, it's like I give with, take away with one hand, but I give with the other. There you go. You know, Thank you. You, you, you want to be fair, fair and even in all things. Yeah, I mean, to me, that was just, if we had made, this to, made those votes uh, halfway through the season, you know, it would have been Clarkson in a walk. It's just his, his, he had sort of hit that cold snap. He had, his shooting efficiency had dropped off. And if, you, if what you are bringing to the table is scoring in volume and in bulk, you got to be able to do it at a high enough clip where you guys coming away with a lot of empty possessions too. And I think uh, in those towards the latter couple of months of the season, Clarkson dipped a little bit, although again ended the season on a strong run. And this, the, the way I think about the Jazz, what I think about them as a, as a as a team, the way they've operated when they are at their best, 
you kind of close your eyes. You think about what Joe Ingles does, right? It's it's not always overwhelming, like physical one-on-one dominance, but it's we're going to be clever. We're going to keep the ball moving. We're going to get to a, go from good to great. There's a lot of that San Antonio DNA in what they do, and so there's a, a, a similarity stylistically, maybe uh, you know, in a different bit of a uh, different kind of package, but to the way that Manu Ginobili would kind of be able to keep the offense running, coming in off the bench, right down to him being lefty, right? But um, or slot in as a starter when when you needed a little bit more juice in the starting lineup, and then everything kind of kept clicking into place. That's the kind of effect that I think Joe Ingles has on on the second unit for Utah, and that's why to me, and then the final analysis, he kind of bumped up ahead. But certainly having two guys that are that kind of that are that caliber of players and that operate in different ways that can come in and provide changes of pace off the bench is a, a real uh, a real boon to have this time of year, and it's also uh, a credit to the way that again the Dennis Lindsay and company built that roster where you know it's these were not you know Joe Ingles was uh, was playing in Barcelona anybody could have signed Joe Ingles and brought him in um, you know Jordan Clarkson was you know way, wasting away in Cleveland anybody could have had him and to see the vision for what those guys could be in a, a slightly different structure surrounded by pretty much uh, by significant talent um, you know you can't say enough about the job that the Jazz front office has done to construct this team. And yet there's this nagging feeling among Jazz fans that LeBron is getting healthy at exactly the wrong time and that the Lakers are going to be the first seven seed to win an NBA title and that this is really the 95 Rockets and there's plenty of fans. Remember the Jazz having a 2-1 lead and losing that best-of-five series and watching the Rockets go back-to-back. Are we going to be living that nightmare again in Salt Lake City? Well, listen, I I can't... I can't fault fans for having that feeling. I can't, uh, you know, the, the A's, again, you know, the, the, the demons only get exercised by actually exercising them, right? Otherwise, they're just there. Um, you know, and sometimes you got to, you know, it takes some, you know, checking under the bed and in the closets to make sure the boogeyman's not in there. And sometimes you got to go in there with the bat and you got to take care of the boogeyman. And I think that's kind of where we are with the Jazz right now. Like, the only arguments for why it's not going to work are that it hasn't worked before and that previous versions of the kinds of teams they're going to face have been problematic for the Jazz. They've had trouble with Steph Curry teams in the past, although obviously everyone's had problems with Steph Curry teams in the past. They've had problems with, with uh, the Lakers before. Newsflash, everybody has problems with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That's why you go get guys like that. Um, but what you have in, in Utah now, and obviously you mentioned at the very top of this, the $64,000 question is just uh, what are you going to get when Donovan Mitchell gets back on the floor? Because he is he's your answer to those questions of like when it gets down to the end of the game, who's going to create a bucket for us? Who's going to go get something for us? It's Donovan Mitchell. And I think what you're hoping for is that you sort of are able to meld the best versions of what we've seen from this Jazz team over the past two years. The version of Donovan Mitchell that was an absolute flamethrower in the first round against Denver last season that was dominant for much of that series, and you're able to meld that with you. Now you get a healthy Bogdanovich. You get Gobert playing at the, uh, the higher level than he's ever played before. You get Clarkson and Ingles both at that kind of award caliber level. You get Conley as comfortable and uh, as in rhythm as he's been since he got to Salt Lake City. You put all of that together, and that is what elevates you because it's not just one guy that's, that everything hangs on. It's that every, it's like the rising tide lifts all boats. And so 
Uh, I mean, if, you, if you're asking me, if, we'll see, a lot will depend on what, you know, what comes out of this next few days when you know, we'll see how healthy LeBron looks. We'll see how healthy Anthony Davis looks. We'll see how comfortable they seem, how, you know, how together and how cohesive that Lakers roster looks. Because, again, it's not, you know, while the, the, the big answer to that question is always if you have a healthy LeBron and AD, you've got a good chance against anybody in a seven-game series. There's also a lot of pieces that haven't quite fit together for that Lakers team. It's not the same team that was in the bubble. And some important guys have been out for them. They haven't had a whole lot of time with Drummond. Marc Gasol's been in and out of the rotation all season. They haven't really coalesced around lineups that you know you feel confident about. They were to return AD and LeBron with Kuzma and KCP and some of the guys that were part of that run. But there's still some questions to answer and some things to figure out. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that uh, it's you know you have to be terrified of the the monster under the bed there. I think, but I think it's you know what what Pop would always say is like appropriate fear, right? You know, and you have a lot of respect for what the what the Lakers are. But I think a lot of people around the league have a lot of respect for what the Jazz are too. So when I look at this, you know, I can make an argument probably that this is assuming that the seven seed, the Lakers win, beat the Warriors, and the Warriors beat whoever they play, and they get the eighth seed. That the seven and eight seeds might be the best seven and eight seeds ever. When when you look at that, with with literally Hall of Fame players on their rosters. So assuming that it holds the way we think that the Jazz would play the Warriors. What degree of healthy Mitchell do you think the Jazz need just to get out of the first round? That's a great question. I, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to put numbers on it because you know what what you're seeing from the Warriors now is a they you know a lot of things kind of shifted for them when James Wiseman, their number two overall pick, was out went out for the season, and you know no fault of his. He's a you know a really talented young prospect, but that. Moving away from him kind of clarified for the Warriors what they are, and that that is a team that is built around Steph and Draymond. You put you know a kind of a solid center in Kevon Looney in there, who's been through the wars with the, with those guys, and knows how to play. And they've tightened their rotation a bit. They're just sort of they look more like a Golden State team, and obviously that is a team that can that spreads you out, that looks to push pace and play in chaos, and that's something that uh, for a team that's like a, sort of as regimented and systemic as Utah can can be a problem. So. All that to say, I think you, you I mean, the, the offensive numbers for Steph have been off the charts, and for the Warriors, when they've had Steph and Draymond on the floor, have been sensational. So you're going to need to be able to score with them. And I think, you know, the, if you have a you know, fully operational Draymond Green along the back line and you've got a defense that's tightened up with some of the wings they've been able to put on the floor in Golden State, you need someone who can be the locksmith in the half court and who can, who can you, know, uh, you know, move through some of those tight coverages, find spaces, draw and kick. And I think that's Mitchell. It's, 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 it's got to be Donovan for there. So I don't know that it's necessarily they need to have him at 110% to get out of the first round, but I think the, the challenge is that the, the version of the Warriors as they exist now is dramatically different from the one we saw for the first 40 or so games. So the chat, in order to solve some of the problems they can create, you need yeah, your best players on the court, you need your best players operating at a high level. I have no doubt that if Donovan's able to get through this sort of week-long, you know, the, the, the extended period of time that he's got to, to, to come back, get back on the court, and, and be, a, you know, be his, his, his customary self, his all-star self, um, I have no doubt that he's going to perform at a high level, uh, no matter who they throw at him defensively, but I think that's an, he's, an, he's obviously an argument an important piece to be able to unlock the kind of defenses that you're going to see round after round in the playoffs. 
You know, the Warriors went 15-5 and five down the stretch, so taking Wiseman out obviously got them rolling. There's probably multiple reasons for that. Uh, I'm curious what you think. We had Tim Roy, the radio broadcaster for the Warriors, on, and he has been there for a long time. Right. And he said that this Jazz team reminds him of the Warriors. Uh, when they broke through and won their first title and they didn't have a lot of playoff experience, they'd won one series, only been in the playoffs twice. Uh, and then um, a guy who does uh, TV here um, knows uh, – who did he talk to, PK, at the Warriors? Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. Mike Smith used to play for Celtics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, long-time Clipper broadcaster. And Steve Kerr said the same thing, that this Jazz team reminds him of that first Warrior team. Are the Warriors saying nice stuff, buttering the Jazz up, or is there a lot of truth there? <laughs> Uh, maybe a little of column A, a little of column B. It could be both. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going around. LeBron was just going over there telling everybody that Steph's the MVP before the playing game. So maybe there's a little bit of, you know, killing with kindness in the early going of the, uh, the postseason here. But, um, no, I think there's something to that. You know, and we've seen, I think that there's uh, the nature of this season and how jumbled up everything's been and how many top, you know, top players have missed time with injuries and how many teams have had to sort of scramble and shuffle their rotation and everything, it's left uh, kind of a void in terms of what we're typically familiar with at the top of the standings or in in some of these bigger conversations. And those voids often get filled by teams that have you know, uh, an identity and cohesion and depth and sort of emerging young talent. And I think that it's fair to say that that, you know, Utah checks a lot of those boxes. Um, And there's, it's not just we are, you know, we hang our hat on one end of the floor and then the other end we just sort of hope for the best. The Jazz paired an already elite defense with a, a, changed and, uh, and augmented offensive approach that's, you know, spreading the floor out and firing away and or everybody is kind of uh, em- empowered to approach to play that way. Basically, everybody who's not a center is playing that way. And it it it. it Free. It opens up the floor. It opens up the pace. It's sort of a, it, there's a joyfulness to the style and to the uh, you know many hands make light work. Everybody's involved. That is, I think, very stylistically similar to what Kirk tried to kind of instill and what Steph has been as sort of like a, a beacon for in Golden State over the years. Um, the question is is and obviously, of course, those Golden State teams never quite got enough credit for how good they were defensively, and Draymond's a big part of that. But very much you know similarly with Utah, like. That all, all of the joy and all of the three-point shooting has to be underpinned by something solid, and that is the defense that Rudy Gobert captains and that the, the, you know Quinn Snyder has sort of built. So I think that they, they go about it in, in a little bit of a different way. There is not the one like Donovan Mitchell is special, but Donovan Mitchell is not has is not to this point in his career what Steph Curry even was at that point. You know that was as he's ascending into MVP status. Donovan Mitchell's a little bit below that kind of tier at this stage in his development, but. Um, they do it a little bit differently, but I think that the, the results are, are awful similar. And I think it, it, if nothing else, provides a really interesting test and sort of measuring stick for where Utah is. I mean, I think the only thing stopping them from being in that top tier of teams is beating that top tier of teams. I know it's a very simple thing to say. It's very obvious, but it's the truth. Every check, every box you can check for how you put together a team, what kind of success you have during the regular season, how well you do offensively, how well you do defensively, how you fare against other top opponents, all of it. The Jazz have checked all those boxes. Now it's just time to do it when the bright lights are on and when the popcorn's popping, and now we'll find out. 
Dan, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. And uh, Jazz fans will check you out at the Ringer to see why you think uh, Ingles over Clarkson and uh, why Rudy's just the defensive player of the year and not the MVP. I know. What, what, what slander to be just, just the defensive just, player right? of the year and not the MVP. Well, guys, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, I know that it is a, an exciting and stressful time. Deep breaths, everybody. <laughs> we'll get through this together. There you go. Dan Devine from The Ringer. You can follow him on Twitter at YourManDevine. If you missed any of that interview, go to DJ and PK on 1280thezone.com. You can find the full podcast there. Or you can download the DJ and PK podcast, the full show, individual segments, interviews, and the like. It's available on all major podcast platforms apple podcast spotify the odyssey app wherever you want to listen to it you can find us just search out dj and pk in the morning all right coming up here in just a few moments we'll catch up with brian taylor from real golf radio get a look at the pga championship upcoming this weekend at kiowa island you'll hear from him next right here on the zone sports network Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning. DJ and PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. They are the title sponsor of this fine program. Let's get to some golf now. Brian Taylor from Real Golf Radio joined DJ and PK yesterday to talk about the upcoming PGA Championship at Kiowa Island this weekend. Who does he think should be favored? Obviously, the guys will have their draft upcoming later this morning. Bob Casper scheduled to join the program. Brian's fellow co-host on Real Golf Radio at 9 o'clock, so stay tuned for that. But without further Further ado, let's get to Brian's thoughts right now, right here on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. This UN Golf PGA Championship Preview with Brian Taylor from Real Golf Radio is brought to you by Mountainland Supply, Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, Siegfried and Jensen, and Black Desert Resort. Brian, good morning. Good morning, guys. Ready for the second major? Are you ready for the PGA? I am ready, actually. This is going to be good. Um, the ocean course at Kiowa Island, the Pete Dye design. And, of course, we know uh, Rory won this in 2012 on this golf course by a record eight shots, beat Jack Nicklaus's record in a PGA who, when he won uh, by seven shots back in 1980. And he also had the War of the Shore, the 91 Ryder Cup, uh, which was uh, super intense and kind of set the stage for how Ryder Cups have gone since that point in time. So, uh, yeah, I mean uh, – Right now, effectively, it's 7,800 yards, the longest golf course in uh, major championship history, although it's unlikely they'll tip it out to that uh, at any one particular round this week. But, yeah, it should be good. I guess the only thing that's a little bit uh, flat is sort of the, the, the main the main characters in all of this, and that's the players. There really isn't sort of one player that you would suggest is super hot right now. And, um, you know, a lot of the big names are have been a little flat this year. All right, well, with that in mind, though, I was ready to write off Rory and just said, I don't know what it is after the Masters. And he rallied and won. And we've seen Spieth have a little bit of a resurgence. So they may not be hot or the overwhelming favorites, but they're certainly playing better going into this. 
No, no doubt. And those are the two exceptions, right? I mean, you know, you think about DJ, you think about Justin Thomas, you think about Bryson DeChambeau, you think about, you know, um, Brooks Kepka being injured. You know, a lot of these guys that, that were hot at some time, you know, in the last several months, and DJ, the number one player in the world, not, not playing some great golf right now. But that said, Rory, yeah, great story. Certainly back in the winner's circle and looking to join Tiger as the only player to win multiple PGAs on the same venue. Tiger did it at Medina. Uh, so, so yeah, Rory is, is, is definitely the story of the week, along with Jordan Spieth, who's looking to complete the career grand slam and, you know, very timely win for him to get back in the winner's circle. Uh, Arnold Palmer and Tom Watson uh, were a PGA championship sort, uh, short of winning that uh, career grand slam. So uh, nobody's actually done it at the PGA. Uh, Spieth would be the uh, first to do so. And, you know, it w- wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Spieth does have five top fives this year, including that win. So, um, he, like I said, he, Spieth and Rory probably the two hottest players coming in this week, and the two betting favorites for sure. Um, but maybe, maybe with uh, you know having struggled for some time, not quite the same pressure to win the career, complete the career Grand Slam on Jordan as what he's had perhaps in years past. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how both of those play this week. So what style of golf does this course favor? What are the what are the traits you have to have to have an edge here? It's interesting. Uh, Rory, obviously, when he won back in 2012 and just destroyed the field, was just bombing it. Um, but I went back, and, and, and so you'd say, hey, 7,800 yards at the Bomber's Paradise. But you, you've also got an interesting golf course here. It's a seaside, linksy style golf course. But, but, the, but it doesn't play fully like a links course in the sense that the greens are raised up. So you can't just have a low ball flight ground game like you would say at, a, at an open championship. You have to be able to put it up in the air, but flight it down and be able to hold those greens. And so uh, a great ball striker, you know, which Rory was, was on top of his, his game when he, when he won by eight shots, obviously. Looking back on, on Rory's win, too, he, he dominated the par fives. Um, two of the par fives played over par for the week. In, in 2012, it's just really, really tough. And yet he was eight under par for the par fives for the week. And so I, I think you, you look at someone who dominates in par fives, someone that's obviously if you have length, that's always an advantage. I mean, we talk about that at every major championship. And then guys that are just really, you know, I, I think you're going to have to drive it a little straighter um, than what you do at the Masters, for instance. Tony Finau, listening to his interview yesterday, he talked about how uh, key, his first time around Kia, he tipped it out. This was, it was just yesterday. Tipped it out, played all 18 holes, and he said it felt a whole lot more like a U.S. Open than it did a PGA Championship. So, you know, fr- from that standpoint, it does demand a little bit of accuracy off the tee. You do need some length and, and then some great ball striking and ultimately some putting. I don't think the, green, the putting surfaces are quite as severe as, as some of the – um, and some of the other uh, courses, so you're, you know, the, the grass uh, is this, um, or the past pollen or whatever that's a little bit sticky. So even though it's, even though it's super firm, it shouldn't be icy slick. Like they should be able to, to, to make some putts, and and so that that also plays into the hands of uh, of good putters this week. So to answer your question, I, I think it's going to be one of those, you know, like a major championship is defining whose game is at the top, and that's going to test all aspects of of, the, of a player's game. So you've heard about the big news about the range finders being able to be used? <laughs> well, apparently Tony had, and that was the other thing that was actually funny. I don't know if you saw. I did. He, you see that interview, and, he, yeah. and Tony's like, wait, what? <laughs> it, was, it was being told during the interview. Now, I guess you can't use it for the slope, but everything else? Yeah, which, you know, that's the case. You know, I, I don't even know people that really use the slope. I think some people think it helps. I, there's so much calibration that goes on in that, even in for, for us amateurs just playing around. I, I've never actually used the slope feature. But 
yeah, so they can, you know, it's an interesting one, right, PK? So we talk about technology. We talk about, you know, what can we do to, you know, make the game more fun? How can we speed up the game? And I'll be honest, I've gotten in my rhythm includes shooting a, a laser at the flag every time I play. You know, when I get to the fairway, I pull out my rangefinder. I actually have a little magnet holder, and it sits right on the little upright of the cart. And I pull it out, and I shoot the flag, and then I make my decision. Now, you know, there, there's there's a lot that goes into, you know, when I'm playing golf courses that I play that are soft greens, and you can pretty much fire at the flags. And, you know, you look, okay, that's a back flag. Maybe I want to back it off a little bit. But these players, I mean, in major championship, even just regular PGA Tour events, the precision that's required and the, the pin placements, that, that, that's, it makes such a difference. If, we, if you went out and played these same courses that tour players played and they just stuck the flag in the middle of the green, it's not even the same experience. And so uh, the way they tuck these flags and the p- positions they put them in, the only chance some of these players have to even make a birdie is to hit it in a certain spot. I know from all the years we've been at Augusta, it's very rare that players are even firing at flags. Um, in order to get close to flags, you have to hit different spots for them and then allow the slope to take it to the flag. And so to give these guys a range finder that will simply give you the, the, the distance to the flag is, I mean, I, I, it's like Tony said, you know, he's probably going to rely on, you know, what his caddy has to say and the, what the book has to say and stepping things off because, and Webb Simpson piled on that too. And he said, most of the time we want yardages to the front of the green. That's what we're looking for. What's the front yardage and then how far on the pin. And then they can kind of calculate where they want to go from there. So I see this. I mean, I think the PGA is using this as a way to gain some notoriety, to do something different, to be noteworthy. Uh, and, and then under the guise of, hey, maybe this will speed up play. Most of the consensus so far, at least among the, the media guys and in some of the players, is that uh, if, if anything, it might slow up play because they're going to use it as a double check. I don't see anyone just pulling up the rangefinder, shooting the flag, and disregarding the yardage book. So anyway, long answer. We'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out this week. So a lot of guys who have uh, not won a major before win on the at the PGA Championship, right? Morikawa last year, it's six of the last ten, I think. So the guys who haven't won, who do you think has a chance to break through? Let's stay away from the McElroys and the Spieths who are just piling them up. Who goes? I like that. Who's got a good chance to go from zero to one? Yeah, that's a that's that's a good uh, that's a it's a good note, DJ. And and I think you know you look at uh, one guy we've already mentioned in Tony Finau. Um, you know the guy has uh, six top tens and sixteen starts this season. He already t- tied for tenth at the Masters. So I'm putting Tony down for a top ten this week. Anyway, I know we don't want to hear top ten. I mean we we appreciate the fact that he can top ten. We want him to win. But um, you know Tony's striking it great right now. He's thirteenth in strokes gain approach the green. He's tenth in strokes gain tee to green, and he's fifteenth in overall in ball striking. So uh, the, the big question mark is, can he, that putter wake up? Can he have a putting week? And uh, if he can have a putting week, I love Tony's chances. You look at some of the best players to have um, not yet won a major championship with the most top 10 finishes at majors without that victory. You're talking about Lee Westwood, 19 top 10s in major championships. He's 48 years old, however. Matt Kuchar has 12, and he's 42. Ricky Fowler, who's in the field this week, he has 11 uh, top 10s. He's just 32. Paul Casey has 10. He's 43. Tony Finau, 9 top 10s. He's 31. Brant Snedeker has 9, and he's 40. Uh, Xander Shoffley has 8. He's 27. John Rahm has 6. Mark Leishman, 6. So, we, you know, when you start going down best players that are currently active yet to win a major, you know, I mean, you have, you have to, as far as those guys that are in form, I mean, Tony Finau, uh, John Rahm, 
um, Xander Schauffele, and then I would also throw a guy that's not on that list because he's just too you know young. He may be in that uh, Morikawa uh, uh, category. Is Victor Hovland five top fives this year? So th- those are the guys that I would probably put on my top of the list: Hovland, Finau, um, yeah, Xander, and Rom. Probably as as the guys that could break out and and win their first major this week of the PGA. What's the fan situation going to be? Do you know? A lot more fans. Uh, I don't know the exact count, um, but they are going to have fans there in South Carolina, so we should be able to hear some roars. We saw them in Texas last week. It was huge. The players have commented on it, but uh, they are they are letting some fans back in. It's starting to look a little bit more normal, at least for the PGA. Uh, I can tell you ahead of the U.S. Open next month in San Diego, um, it's still very, very limited. And so um, even media-wise, you know, we're, we're getting shut out again. So um, I'm looking Ryder Cup before we're going to yeah, be able to be back on site. And hopefully, um, hopefully all of next year we'll be back on site. But this week I think you'll see more fans than, than probably at, uh, at the U.S. Open next, next week or next month, rather, in, at Torrey Pines. Outdoors, ocean breezes. 36% of America or something like that vaccinated, I, I would think that sounds pretty safe. You know what? That's a, that is a, that's a debate right, right there right, that I don't want to get into on a golf talk show. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, 100%, man. I'm so tired of the whole thing. I'm, I'm, I'm Honestly, I'm so tired of it. Like, it's, you know, the people that said it's not safe and the people that say it's safe are both, you know, so passionate. It's just the, those conversations are just so – they're just tiring, aren't they? I mean, it's just tiring. So. Yeah, they are, but I'm really curious to see what side you fall on, Brian. <laughs> oh, are you really? You want to you want to throw me out there? <laughs> uh, honestly, I think details matter. I think you sitting in a media room uh, with a hundred other media people—that's probably not that safe. But for some dude standing on the 15th fairway with 10 mile an hour breeze coming off the ocean, I don't think that's that big a deal. How about deal. standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona? Uh, yeah, probably yeah. okay. That's a pretty small town. There's probably no one standing <laughs> on the corner with you. I think you're good to go. That is such a fine sight to see. <laughs> they actually have a statue on that corner. Do they really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, they have it. I've seen those photos. You can Google yeah. it when you're done here. You can find it. Okay. Yeah. I have a friend of mine whose wife is from Arizona, and he asked her when he when he was dating her, "Have you been to Winslow?" And and she's like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Did you stand on the corner?" And she goes, "What are you talking about?" And he goes, "I don't know if this is going to work out." Exactly, <laughs> man. He goes, "I don't know if this is going to work out." And I think beyond that, the next question is, "Do you like golf?" If the answer is, "I don't know," and no, see you later. <laughs> What did you say? Wow. wow, we went from uh, Kiowa to Win- Winslow real quick there. That was awesome. You think to this, my friend's marriage. You think this PGA this time of year is here to stay? Yeah, I think so. You know, and that's actually another thing to note when you're comparing 2012. That was in August, and the winds blow a lot more in August than in May. You know, I think the way that the schedule has changed. Look, we, we talked about this when it happened, right? This is the, this is the PGA Championship teaming up with the PGA Tour to try to get the big events, uh, major championships and FedEx Cup playoffs done before football starts. I mean, football's king. You know, it, it always has been. Well, I don't know if it always has been. Baseball probably at one point. But it, it certainly is king right now with sports. And so the PGA recognizes that they're yielding to football and saying, look, let's let's have our season be when we don't have to compete with that um, 
thousand pound gorilla. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's probably there to stay. You, you look at the way it slates out now. You got players in March. You got Masters in April, PGA in May, U.S. Open in June, and the Open Championship in July. And then that gives you August for the playoffs. And then you either put a Ryder Cup or a Presidents Cup there in September. And and uh, and and there's your your schedule. The tough thing is this year fitting in the Olympics, and you know players are dropping out of that like um, like flies right now. So um, it's it's tough. It's going to be tough to schedule more major events late in the year I, I, is is what it looks like to me. I always thought the golf season really lagged, though. I think they needed a major this, and, and so it was weird at first. I think I'm starting to settle into it, and there's no doubt it makes way more sense on multiple levels to stay away from football in the fall, absolutely, but also just kind of the momentum of the season. Everybody gets fired up for the Masters and go all the way to Father's Day. That was too long. No, ago I love the wait, though. No, anticipation of no. it all. No, I'm glad the PGA. It's coming ready. too soon. No, it's not. Actually, I think I side with DJ on this one. I think you're right. It, it did kind of lag a little bit. Um, you know, you had Memorial uh, that would play in there. You'd look forward to some of those events. But it did feel like, you know, golf, golf revolves around it. Players will all admit it, around the four major championships. And so um, those, those are the big events. And, and, you know, the fact that they come a little bit more um, in a little bit uh, more consistent cadence, I think is good. That's good for the game. Yeah, it gives but, guys <laughs> something every month to look forward to. I, I, right. But then it's almost like a day and a half between the uh, U.S. and British. Uh, because of the travel, right? That one feels a little tight. But right. the, the rest of like, the, it doesn't feel like a day and a half since Augusta. That feels like a no, year ago already. I'm, uh, you got me there. But yeah. the, I, I think that when we get this year, when we get to the British, I'm going to be sad that the majors are over and we're just barely halfway through the summer. Okay, f- fair enough. Yeah, I mean, from a major standpoint, your middle of July majors are over, and, and now you're looking forward to, you know, at least it's a Ryder Cup year. I got I mean, you that's, my, that. that's my favorite event outside the Masters. Sure, golf, yeah, so. I, can, I can live with that. They could move the British Open back a week or two, and it wouldn't bother me greatly. And the weather would be the same. See, it's going to be right. cold and windy any time you play. Right. So. <laughs> All right, so who should be the number one pick tomorrow in the draft? Bob will have you the know, number one pick. Who's going who's gonna to be the number one pick? I, I wondered if you, flip, you uh, switched me up to, because I was giving you a bad time about who you pick. I wonder if you put me on first to try to try to give you a little heads up. Uh, so so I've, here's my picks, right, early week. Rory. I mean, he's a two-time winner of the PGA, you know, um, just won a couple weeks ago. He, he's the one that you'd put two and two together, right? And you'd say, okay, Rory won the last time he played, and he won the last time it was here. So let's, let, let's pick Rory. I, I think he's a good pick. Uh, I think he's got some confidence back. Um, Dustin Johnson, back-to-back runner-up finishes uh, and six top tens at the PGA. Uh, I mean, that's something. He has not played very good. He's hurt, too, um, isn't he? I think he's okay. I think he's okay. He's just he just hasn't been playing all that well. Um, Brooks Kepka's still hurt, so I, I'm not sure I'd pick him. In fact, he's still struggling to bend over just to read putts. I, I think he's a, a way long shot at best. Um, and and by the way, uh, DJ did miss the cut at the Masters, yeah. and so I would think that he's looking to maybe avenge that. And he's still the number one player in the world. I think Colin Morikawa's a sleeper. You know, I mean, not a lot of guys go back to back at the PGA, but. You know what? The guy's still second in greens and regulation. He's second in strokes gained tee to green. He already won on a tough concession golf course to pick up that WGC. So I like Morikawa this week. And uh, Spieth, Hovland, and Finau. Those are, those are my guys. So Rory, DJ, uh, Morikawa, Spieth, Hovland, and Finau, um, if, if, that, if that helps. 
And if you're looking for a dark horse, go with John Daly, PK. You can't go wrong. John Daly. <laughs> John Daly. I've, read- been a Miller Li- I've been a Miller Lite guy. Always have been. Ever since I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's actually on the board at 1,000 to 1. That's just throwing your money away right there. There you go. Why not? Hey, it's a good one. Long shot. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Brian. We appreciate it. We'll catch you on Real Golf Radio. And we did not move you around. I mean, you're going to sing against our picks no matter what. Now you're just singing against them on Thursday morning. I don't. I, didn't, I don't know why you even bothered thinking about that. Of course, you're going to sing against our picks. All right. Well, you know it's what we do, right? <laughs> right. All right. So, thanks, Brian. Thanks. Good to be with you. There you go, Brian Taylor from Real Golf Radio right here on the Zone Sports Network. You can hear Real Golf Radio every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. right here on 97.5 FM and 1280 a.m. Later this morning, Bob Casper will join DJ and PK. We'll get to what's trending coming up next. All the headlines you guys need to know about the world in sports. NBA hoops last night, the playing tournament underway, looking ahead to tonight's Western Conference matchups. We'll get to all of that next right here on the Zone Sports Network.